Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. This show is brought to you by TalkShoe, where anyone can create their own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E.com. Abe Nelson and the other guy. <laughs> I totally screwed that. Welcome we got music. to Cellar Dwellers Home Winemaking Talkcast with Dave Nelson and the other guy. Uh, all right, so much for technical wizardry. Okay, not only can you not hear, passionate one, what's right. going on, but somehow I started the music right in the middle of the theme. The only good thing was that it said Dave Nelson twice and the other guy. Oh, that's a plus. <laughs> that is a that's absolute a plus. plus. So are we going to have to fire the engineer again? <laughs> the crack team here, the staff that talks you? Uh, I think we are. And let the record show we have not had one sip of wine. Today. Not a drop not, yet. Not one. And we're already missing up. Well, hey, as the uh, music in the intro said there, we are the Cellar Dwellers back for another Tuesday night, 9 o'clock here on the East Coast. And uh, I am Dave Nelson. And I be the other guy. You are the other guy, the passionate one. And we we have a great show tonight, but we've got one problem right off the bat. Um, let me just describe the studio here. We were... So incredibly lucky that uh, as I was walking out the door, my wife, who likes to play it straight, said, hey, Dave, you got some olive oil. And so she trots out this box from, let's just say it's from, we won't say exactly where, but uh, Moravia, New York. That doesn't incriminate anybody. And uh, it's our buddy um, Raphael Shea. Ah, he sent us a and it is a guy. We finally fe- determined exactly. that. Exactly. We've got an email here, which we will share. A uh, beautiful bottle of Chardonnay, and gorgeous, we'll get into the details. Cool but so we got that as as I was heading to the studio tonight. We had originally planned, not really thinking very far ahead as usual, to do our BV tasting tonight. Oh yes, the two different qualities from the same winery, right? But, right, we're blending four different wines. We've got a, a Cabernet. Uh, Syrah, a Zinfandel, all from 05, and we trotted out a bottle of our 04 Merlot. So we have seven bottles of wine here. This is my kind of show. I love (laughs) What a great show. And we get paid for doing this. You can't beat that, I'll tell you. We get, I'm still looking for that first check. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, maybe we don't get paid. Uh, no, you can hear, you can hear just perfectly fine. Um, David, I'm trying to pretend like I can't hear you. Is that what it is? David, welcome to the show. Uh, just say hi to prove to Tog, the other guy, that, that he can actually hear from his headphones. Hi, Tog. How are you doing? 
Oh, there we are. Okay, you're back. I, I wasn't believing the engineer over here. Cause After my I, earlier faux pas. I've seen what's happened here in the studio. <laughs> it's pretty much... The only uh, thing we get straight is our wine drinking. <laughs> hey, you got to be good at one thing. Do one thing. Do it well. One step at a time. Okay, so we are the Cellar Dwellers. Back for another show. We love it when live listeners join. I can see Mike has just come on the show. Alex has just come on the show. Uh, listening along on the Internet, welcome Mike and Alex. Yeah, uh, welcome, welcome, guys. David. Welcome to the uh, literally hundreds of others that are hearing this as a recording. But frankly, we'd love it if you join us live. Tuesdays at 9, go to TalkShoe, get your account, join our show live. If you want to email us, like you've got a comment and you're too shy to come on the air or maybe you can't understand how to quite connect with us, we are cellar dwellers at TalkShoe, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com. We'd love to help you out, but the show's a lot more fun with live people. <laughs> speechless. I'm speechless. Live people. We love to hear from folks, either online or on the phone. Uh, by the way, um, oh, speechless one, I, I have an email that came in on September 21st at 5.05 p.m. Let Tog, the other guy, T-O-G, let Tog speak. His insight is enlightening. Well, I have to agree with that email. <laughs> it says, regards people for Tog, people, or people for, of Tog. People for Tog. Tog people. It's growing. It's getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary is what it is. It's a beautiful thing. So tonight we are... Keep those um, emails coming. This is all about blending, but you know what? <laughs> on the fly, a little bit of uh, show rearrangement. Um, uh, Mike's got his BV 2003 Rutherford all ready to go. What do you say? Do we open a fifth or maybe even sixth bottle of wine? Or We have enough wine. <laughs> we are in wine <laughs> overload. For, for Heinz Field here, I'll tell you what. Let's just, we're going to broadcast all night long. That's what we're going to do, all night long. There's, yeah, that's the B.V. Rutherford. Oh, I can tell you've left conveniently <laughs> the uh, the receipt taped to the bottle. That's because last clever. show you didn't give me, you didn't quite <laughs> give me my due for my investment. <laughs> oh, I'm going to give you some due, buddy. All right. Um, actually, let's get started with some of our blending. So, blending wine. Do you blend it before you ferment or after you're, you're, you ferment? What do you, what do you say, Tog? Oh, you have to blend after. Absolutely. Okay, but do I, do I have to remind you that in 2004, you made a whole barrel of 50% Cabernet, 50% Merlot. I guess that... But it was after fermentation. Was that after fermentation? Okay, so we fermented the two well, wines. You screw up the music and you forget <laughs> what the heck we did with our wine. We I fermented have, them separately but aged them in the barrel. I together. must have been heavy tasting that night. No, you are right. We fermented it separately, but then we did something unconventional, and that is because we had sort of a, a, an odd amount of two varietals, we did actually combine them exactly at the end of fermentation, 10 days in, into one barrel, and we aged some 50-50 Cab Merlot in a barrel. We, we did the malolactic fermentation with it combined, which is not how you traditionally do it. Right, and if we had any foresight whatsoever, which we obviously don't, or we wouldn't have we, had seven bottles of wine in the studio tonight, and listeners ready to taste a B.V. Rutherford. That we haven't even opened yet. I'm a little, uh, you know what, we're going to have to save this for next week. So uh, to our listeners who did bring their wine, practice up on your B.V. Rutherford tonight. We'd 
we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And then we'll be back next week, and we will do the BV once we're done with this blending show. Okay, now that we've screwed up all of our listeners, <laughs> if we had the foresight, we would have brought some of the 50% Cab, 50% Merlot that was fermented and aged then together in the barrel and compared that to a blending where they were aged separately in barrels with ah. different amounts of oak. You are brilliant. You've just come well, up. people for dog speak. <laughs> <laughs> You've just come up with another show. Another show. So that is a great idea. Let's, let's do a comparison. We'll either do it in one of the next two shows, let's say, where we do compare our aged combined 50-50 Versus a blended on the spot 50-50. Right. And see if we can taste the difference. We'll, we'll do it as a blind test where we label bottom of the cups and don't look, and we'll see if we can figure it out. We do everything else blind. Why not do that blind? Well, I, I wonder if it'll be a huge difference. It might be because of the level of integration of the flavors and combination. I, but I've got, I'll bet it is. I'm, will, I'll, I'll, I'm willing to bet here on the air that we will be able to tell the difference blindfolded. Well, I guess we're going to see. And I've got a bottle of wine on it. Okay. I've now, got a bottle of O3 think. Rutherford right here. <laughs> that I'm willing to do. Put on it. By the way, Mike uh, has said on the chat, glad I purchased two <laughs> bottles of each DVD. <laughs> so, Mike, you got us figured oh, out better than we know we're ourselves. We're going to have to send Mike some wine or some olive oil. Some too. olive oil, exactly. Uh, so, um, why is it that people don't usually do what we did and, and blend into a barrel and then? age it there. Do you, do you have theory? Yeah, they know how to make wine. <laughs> we, don't. <laughs> we don't. I've got a different theory. I mean, I, okay, granted, you're right. No, because I, here's my theory. Each grape is going to, first of all, it's going to be fermented most likely with different yeasts, right? They're going to have different, different uh, bricks, different sugar contents to start with, different alcohol levels, different acidities, right? You've got two separate beasts there, right? And combining them is has ultimately got to change how it's going to age for that three, six months, a year, whatever, in the barrel compared to aging them separately. And I believe that the big boys blend, uh, and David is going to fill us in on um, the uh, uh, Jay Lore that we tasted a few weeks back, all the different wines that are in that, different grapes that are in that. I believe that they are all made separately and and then blended together in most cases. Oh, you are absolutely right. So what we did... Uh, first of all, I think it's probably safe to say that you always ferment separately. Uh, even yes. we didn't ferment two different varietals together. We fermented separately, then combined to age. Most of the time, people will age them separately. By the way, welcome Alpha King. We see you out there in the Internet land. Uh, a new Alpha listener. King. I don't I like remember that. Alpha King before. I like Alpha King. I welcome like to our wine show. Handle. I, I think, though that the reason that they blend after barrel aging is for exactly the reason we've got going here in the studio tonight. And that is we're able to try all different combinations, taste it on the spot, and pick the best one uh-huh. at that point. So you can you age it in barrels, then you, uh, with your final product, make your adjustments, and then you can do large-scale combinations. That's my theory. I'll even go one up on that numbers okay. guy. While we're making up <laughs> While on we're the making fly. Up <laughs> okay, go on. The air. Make up the next thing. Well, think Tom. about it. You have to taste the wine after aging to see what it needs. 
So, for example, if it's a little fruity, you've got one that's uh, maybe a little more tannic, a little less tannic, that's going to give you your blending uh, percentages. I think you are How could you know how to blend until you taste them, right? Now, with that said, let's pick our first uh, combination to try here tonight. We've we've got four wines, which we have combined in different combinations. All of our own wine, by the way. You know, I've got to say that, that Merlot... Looks like it's completely full. It has left such a dark stain on the glass. Look at that. It looks like it hasn't been poured. Oh, you're right. <laughs> that Look is amazing. That. It's a fake bottle. That is amazing. We don't filter our wine, so that's that's part of it. Let's start with a 85% Cab, 10% Merlot, 5% Zin. So let's uh, we, we combined this just a few minutes ago, so not too much breathing. And while we're doing that, David, did you have a chance to... Um uh, look up the J. Lore website and just check as that. an example, just as an example of, of how a professional, how the professional knows what they're doing, does it? Indeed, the 2002 J. Lore states Seven Oaks Cabernet Sauvignon consisted of 78% Cabernet Sauvignon, so they could call it a Cabernet. Yeah, and the rest was seven percent, seven percent Petit Syrah, four percent Merlot, two percent. Petit Verdot, 2.5% Syrah, 1.7% Zinfandel, 1.4% Alicante Boucher, and 1.9% others, which included Malbec. And that they are selling as a Cabernet. It doesn't say as red table wine or anything. That's a J. Lore Cabernet. Uh, Alicante Boucher. Boucher? I think I dated her in high school. What is that? Alicante <laughs> Boucher. <laughs> I would say it's a red wine or a red grape of some kind. And let me tell you, 1.2% is enough of yeah, her. <laughs> <laughs> David did not go way out on a limb speculating that was a red wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, how, now, now, I, now, I have to be honest. How could they come up with those figures? I Maybe sometimes this was laying around, too. <laughs> hey, Louie, we need another barrel of something. Get that Elegant Boucher up here. I think you're right on. You know, now okay. Taste, taste the uh, Cab Merlot Zin. Uh, a quick uh, sniff of that. As usual, it smells delightful. It is delightful. By the way, Alex was uh, dialed into the Steelers show last night, and I called in from Chicago. I was sitting in a small bar in downtown Chicago drinking Guinness, and uh, Alex obviously uh, uh, heard me talking on that show. And yes, uh, indeed, it was delightful. I had two of those Guinnesses, which made the plane flight home a heck of a lot nicer. So thank you for your, uh, your chat, Alex. Okay, so what did you just pour us now? Tog. I, I just poured us, in, just to get a closer uh, comparison, 85 cab, 10 Syrah, 5 Zin. So this is the same 85-10 with cab and Zin at the outer uh, edges, but sandwiching 10% Merlot in the first case and Syrah in the second case. Yeah, or to clarify, I swapped the Syrah for the Merlot. Okay. <laughs> you put it much... <laughs> the same much percentage. <laughs> okay. That's well, how a what? passionate guy explains numbers. <laughs> Oh, now see how that mm. grabs your fancy. Mm. That's. I think this Syrah is going to blend so well with the Cab. Now see, 
I really think that, like someone at J. Lore, the 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 I don't know who would you call it, the the equivalent of the broom. Meister, right, um, is going to taste these things. Just like there's a guy that tastes Jack Daniels and determines if it's a green label or a black label. I just think it's palate and uh, what they feel the wine needs. You know what surprises me about this is we only changed 10%. We took away the Merlot, we put in the Syrah. These, and so it's still, they're both 85% Cabernet and they taste totally different. Totally different. That is amazing. Completely different taste. That is amazing. There's so much more depth, I think, with the Syrah, because our Syrah is awesome. But I think we're going to find, and, and maybe some other home winemakers, if you're listening and you've ever made a few different varietals and have blended yourselves, gives us. we'd love to hear some feedback on it. I think we're going to find that our very best wine is going to definitely be a blend. Whatever combination we ultimately figure out works best, but I think it's going to be a blend. Well, most wines are blends. Well, even when they say they're right. 100% Cabernet or they're, or they're labeled as Cabernet, like the J. Lore that David was talking about, they indeed have uh, a few other things in there. And I, I think, for example, you add a small percent of Zin, it's going to bring some spiciness or pepperiness. Uh, this Syrah that we've put in the cab brings, even though it's only 10%, I'm amazed, it's so much coffee. It adds a, it adds a backbone to it that um, is incredible. But I think even if you look at the body or you look at the color of these wines, our Syrah is probably more the color of what you would typically purchase. Our unfiltered wine, even though it's clear, the way we um, leave those stems on there or uh, the skins in the... Uh, cap and really punch that down we get so much so much color and flavor out of those that i think sometimes you even want to blend to back that off a little bit it's so chewy and so heavy you know i think um this is exciting this is it's one of the things i really like about making our own wine and you know i've never seen a commercial that left that level of stain on the bottle which i think it's a good sign actually it says how much is in there if you're precipitating that to the glass that's incredible. It really looks I wish like folks the. Could see that. We'll have to get yeah, it the, looks uh, like the bottle is painted on the inside to the height of where the cork was. Yep, it's incredible. It, it's absolutely amazing. Good stuff. Well, let's go to a little bit of uh, listener email just to keep the show moving. We we try to follow this format where we do a little bit of wine news, a little bit of tasting, a little bit of listener email, and some topic. We don't really have a special topic tonight except this blending, which we're going to be doing all through the show. We've got a couple of other blends and, heck, four bottles, so we can go on all <laughs> night long. By the way, Mike made a great point on the on the chat here, uh, talking about combinations in different uh, different proportions and just how much that changes the character of what you taste. He's saying, just like musical instruments and passionate one. I know you've played mm-hmm. uh, in quite a few bands from the time you were very young. I think it's a brilliant analogy. Well, it's finding that balance, right? It's finding what just hits the right spot. Well, and I think it gets to the point that if you think about, I mean, it's fun to listen to maybe just a guitar or just a trumpet, but no single instrument can bring near the richness and variety that uh, that the uh, the right blend of instruments brings. And I think we're talking the same thing with wine. 
That's a great analogy. Great, passionate analogy. And, and we, sometimes, shouldn't, we shouldn't have credited it to Mike. We would have sounded so much more intelligent if we just thrown that out there. And he's going to start stealing good ideas off. Exactly. <laughs> From now on, here. no more listener credit. <laughs> hey, I just had a thought. Oh, yeah? Blending this is a lot like using the <laughs> yes, instrument. Was that brilliant insight? Brilliant, which is a, a saying I made up myself. I just love to say brilliant whenever. Maybe we'll do it as a little animated cartoon to promote our show. <laughs> okay, so listener email. Actually, the first email comes in from, uh, from, from David himself, who suggests, Hi, Dave and Tog. Uh, may I suggest for a future Cellar Dwellers virtual wine tasting the Corbel Brut Rosé Champagne? And normally we're doing red wines, but the fact that we did have a show on champagne... When Mike convinced us that there was no way in this lifetime we'd ever want to attempt this ourselves, but it convinced me that champagne is the best value going at the wine store. Uh, let's let's go with David's let's, suggestion. I think it's a great idea. Not uh, totally next off week. from all the red wines. I love it. And Corbell is uh, a, a phenomenal winery. They make some. I, I love their sparkling. Well, wine. David went on to say, and maybe since David's on the line, we should let him say it for himself. But, but we'll uh, take the credit. Yeah, let's take the credit. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I personally know that the San Francisco, that the San Francisco Chronicle, if I could only read a little better, I might sound more credible, uh, had a wine of the week during August. Uh, it was this Corbel Brut, and it won the gold medal best of class at the 2006 L.A. Fair International Wine Competition. So, um, you know, they've been around for a, a, a century making fantastic wine. So, David, it's a brilliant suggestion. Uh, what are we, what are we what looking are we gonna, at price-wise? Yeah, that's exactly that's the, the passion and remember, count double and triple it for the Pennsylvania price. Huh. Well, I got it for eight ninety nine here, but I, I think it retails for 11 Oh, okay, great. I That's under my twelve dollar uh, mark. So <laughs> yeah, except uh, we're going to pay in. twenty here in in Pennsylvania. I'm bring, my, I'm gonna tape, my projection. I'm going to tape the receipt to the bottle too. Another email <laughs> from uh, <laughs> that almost went over over my head. Almost went over my head. By the way, Alpha King is uh, now chiming in on the chat and clearly has some experience. Uh, a lot of time trying blends now. Um, Alpha King, I'd be interested if you could type us a further comment since you're you're only on the chat listening along. Uh, he says he suspects the aging of mixtures may be essential. Of course, you are aging, uh, in most cases, after you barrel age in the bottle. So it's not that these wines get no time to be together. Remember, right, you, right, you right. bottle, and then normally you wouldn't be doing what we're doing here in the studio where you're drinking them you know, straight out of the bottle. They'll sit in the bottle for a couple years and integrate before they're going to show up in your local wine or liquor store. Uh, but I'm wondering if you have further thoughts on... Well, I wonder if that's what Alpha King meant. Did, uh, did you mean uh, aging of mixtures is essential in the barrel or just once it's blended in the bottle? <laughs> now, wait a second. One of our listeners has picked up our suggestion. It's nice to, to know that we have influence here on the show. Notice how Alex has exactly copied... Uh, copied and pasted uh, Alpha King's comments. So <laughs> we've got Alex chiming in. Now, happily, we have timestamps. A minute later, I spent a lot of time trying blends. Uh, but he fessed up. Whoops, uh, didn't mean to copy and paste. 
Look, okay, anything for, good here, we're still taking credit. So <laughs> you can bounce these around all you want, guys. Ay, ay, ay. Guys uh, or gals. So another uh, another email that came in this week. And I must apologize to folks. I was so busy this week, I got so far behind that I think there's probably some emails that I, well, there's a couple hundred I didn't open. So we may be coming to next People sh- for talk. Next. You're not opening all this, are you? <laughs> uh-huh. Next show, we'll be bringing maybe some older emails. But... Uh, Raphael Shea wrote in. Now we're talking, uh, we had an email from Raphael last time, and he wrote in, we were speculating about whether he was a he or a she. Gender, it was a gender question. Thanks for reading my email on the air. Gave me a nice chuckle, especially the speculation that I might be a she. Sorry to disappoint, but I'm just another guy. (laughs) Now, I know we do have at least a few uh, female listeners out there, and we would certainly like to encourage the females to get into winemaking, join in. It's a heck of a lot of fun. It's probably a great way to attract guys. In fact, it, it attracts friends. I'm wine interested making. already, and I haven't even met her. <laughs> you talk wine, I'm in. Uh, my friends will get a real kick out of it. I can assure you, Raphael goes on to say, you did get the names right. People usually get the last name wrong, pronouncing it Shia, uh, not like the Shea Stadium of the Mets. I think I might have to send you guys a nice bottle of unoaked Dry Creek Valley Chardonnay olive oil. And um, he made it this year in appreciation, um, or so he wants to send it in appreciation for the on the air reading. He says uh, he feels famous all of a sudden. Yes, there are three or four listeners around the world that have now heard your name, <laughs> given our monumental audience. Uh, but he goes on to say that uh, he. He does like red wine, but he lives in the Finger Lakes region of New York and developed a taste for whites, especially Riesling, which he's attempting to grow. Mm. And oh, unoaked cool. whites, he says, are all about crisp, refreshing fruit flavors, amazing summertime drinks. So it, it, I totally agree there, Raphael. Send me an address, and I can send you some oil, and uh, keep laughing, please. Well, so that's what came in with this note right before showtime. Here, <coughs> excuse me, is my unoaked and non-ML, no malolactic fermentation, which for a white wine, a Chardonnay, uh, a lot of whites, most whites have no ML. Chardonnay seems like a 50-50 prospect, but in this case, uh, Raphael said no no malolactic, made last year, bottled in April, ordinarily not a Chard fan, but I really like this unoaked version. Seems more like a Sauvignon Blanc with nice citrusy notes, Mm. a bit of a flinty edge, it comes with its own label. The name, oh, I hate this when I don't know how to pronounce things. A uh, passionate one. I've blown more than enough names. It's your turn. How, does, how do you pronounce that up top there? The, I'll spell it S-C-O-L-P-I-R-E. It's Italian, so follow Italian. Scopiere. Which means to carve or to sculpt. Right, scopiere. That's how you would say it. This oh, is a, oh, oh, oh! I should have read he this. Pro- he probably told you how. He, he knows. Did. He, he knows did. your my <laughs> reputation precedes me. Your go mastery of the English language. Scopiere <laughs> is his pronunciation guide. So, uh, thank you so much. If I'd only read this note before we went on the air, of course. You know, in my defense, this showed up right before I was leaving the house. He goes on to say, I live in the Finger Lakes of New York, the land of carved lakes, gorges, and streams. So my label is an ode to that geologic history ah. uh, and the name, the name and the squiggle. I hope you enjoy. 
and uh, oh, <laughs> here at the end, if I only did a little show prep. Oh, here's a phonetic spelling of my name, although you were very close. <laughs> Raphael. Raphael. There it is. Raphael. Pretty simple. All right. Anyone who sends me anything, please include a pronunciation guide. We're going to save this, though, since we've got four other open wines in the studio tonight. Raphael, we're going to save your Chardonnay and try it next, next time show. before we get into the Cabernet. And email us, and um, we will definitely send you a bottle of our blended, one of our blended bottles of, of olive oil. We don't have your email address I mean, or your postal address. Right. We'll need that. So do send that and your phone number to sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com. Well, that's all the email very I nice. found Very nice. Thank you. That is week. a gorgeous bottle and a very cool label. I'm passionate about labels. All right. Uh, this has breathed a little bit. I must say the, uh, the Cab Merlot Zin blend was very tannic, very harsh. Ah, we've got some uh, really nice feedback from Alpha King again about blending. Take it away. As as usual, I, I can totally screw up reading. Yeah, but you control the computer here. I'm just the other guy. I'm an innocent bystander. I need to see the whole, the whole. Uh, uh, and Alpha King is sharing that he uh, usually chooses a mixture, and after bottling, find that the taste is different of that from the carboys before blending. Hmm. I think he's weighing in on your side of the equation that mm -hmm. it, it will taste different if it's blended, um, you know, after the fact versus before the integration time. But I'm really looking for. Hey, in fact, and Mike has just chimed in here that uh, bottle aging will change your wine. I'm sure it will. But oh, no uh, question. Yeah, yeah, okay. But we're going to taste again, just to reiterate, uh, a wine that was blended and aged in the barrel versus two that are not blended, except at the time of pouring. At our next shoe. At our next shoe. Okay, great. Okay, with that, let's go to the news. And just a little <laughs> complaint. <laughs> oh, your <laughs> new sound. I have a new version of Internet Explorer, and it has a great feature that, you know, have you ever printed out a web page, and, uh, you know, part of it falls off the edge and you mm -hmm. can't read it? Well, the guys at Microsoft, in their brilliance, decided to fix this so that when you print an, a web page, instead of it possibly falling off, they'll squeeze it onto the paper. Now, um, the first time I printed this article for you, Tog, just take a look at that. Can you read that? That's like two-point font. Jeez, even with my glasses, I can't read that. So uh, Microsoft guys uh, might want to take one last cut at the uh, feature <laughs> content of IE7. It's a nice beta. It was a good thought. It definitely annoyed me when things fell off the edge, but it's uh, equally unhelpful to have the, such a small font you can't read it. These guys are out celebrating their success. Meanwhile, <laughs> you need an electron microscope to read the thing. All right. Two news is items. It's time for news. Hey, yeah, it's time for news, Time Tog. for news. Take it away. This is, this is hysterical. This is uh, worldwide news, we could say. Global warming spawns wine in U.K., now, UK is not known for growing grapes, essentially. Correct, numbers guy? Uh, not at all. Not I, at all. I, don't, I couldn't name a single, I mean, Spanish grow, wine, they, Italian wine, right. Australian, Chilean. 
Uh, British wine, <laughs> British <laughs> doesn't, wine doesn't roll off the tongue. Who would have thunk it? It's like uh, meeting someone from England with straight teeth. But seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. Why? Because I am a licensed dentist. I might lose it after that one. Anyway. Apparently, <laughs> off half of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still looking for sponsors from the UK and France. <laughs> anyway, apparently, doggone George Bush is warming up the globe again here. But to it, good end. But to good, to end, good end, George. We thank you for. Um, we are now finding that the uh, the English wine country is glow is growing. Um, according to uh, CBS News correspondent Mike Phillips. Um, there are dozens of U.K. summers on record that have, uh, in the past 15 years, that have broken, I guess, season-long records and, and record highs for the summers. And um, they're actually growing some grapes in southern U.K., southern England. Um, it, you know, Of course, England's known for being a cold, damp, and gloomy place, but um, global warming is good for them. Grape grower David Eland is doing good business thanks to the shifting climate. The, and he, this is a quote, the sugars are higher this year, I think, than we've ever known before, he says. So apparently they have been growing grapes there, obviously, but due to the warmer climate, they're getting sugar levels up where they're starting to make some wines. Uh, and <laughs> on another note, it says, more proof of heat, try olives, not from Italy or Spain, but from England. Again, blame it on the weather. So, the, the so crop next we've got to deal with British olive oil. Oh, my goodness. This is incredible. The crop list goes on and on. After building an empire in part to satisfy their thirst for tea, the British are now finding they can grow their own treasured leaves right at home. Now, I'm not familiar with what type of climate leaves, uh, tea leaves need to grow in. Uh, obviously, I know they're grown in China a lot. but India. But those are huge countries and with all different climates. I, I really have no, uh, know nothing about teas. But apparently now they're able to grow them in England. So um, you know that old line about making hay while the sun shines? Well, for hay in England, now think tea, olives, and wine. Wow. Pretty wild stuff. Now, listeners, before you get too excited about global warming, the other <laughs> side of this equation, I've picked up an article here out of uh, Sacramento, uh, CBS 13, and it is dateline September 25, grape production hindered by summer heat. Farmers are reporting a smaller crop due to the heat wave, um, especially the white grape varieties. So those of you who are into Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc. Where, where was this? This is California. California. Yep. This, Remember, this Carl year. told us last week that uh, things had gotten off to a really late start, but then there was a real heat wave late in the summer, which sort of caught everything up. But apparently, while it has helped ripen the grapes and bring up the sugars, it is causing a lower yield. Well, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, actually, that's a good point. There's, right, I mean, there's sort of an excess of grapes anyway, and if you have uh, the, the vines under a little bit more stress, producing a little bit less, uh, fewer grapes, I think that you're right. That could be a good thing. This year's crop is lighter than last year's for sure. We're just uh, getting into the reds. Uh, the red varieties, they're saying the heat had a greater effect than uh, previously reported. Uh, smaller yields, again, there, and... Uh, 
apparently this is uh, pretty widespread. The only maybe bright spot is that the Pinot Noir apparently is doing better than average. So they're, at least in this case, predicting a good year for Pinot. Ah, wonderful. Good to hear. Uh, so that's all the global warming news that's fit to print. Let's try another blend here. What well, do you got? Now we're going to try, let's go with, I think this is going to be my favorite, a straight uh, 67 cab, 33 Syrah. Two parts cab, one part Syrah. Let's see what uh, what happens with this. We've, I blended these about 10, 15 minutes before showtime, so we'll, that's aged enough, isn't it? It's <laughs> fully integrated <laughs> at this point. It's aged in this styrofoam cup nicely. By the way, the final thought on that, um, the first two combinations was, um, well, we're going to have to see. We're drinking 05, so it's not surprising that these are dominated by tannins. The Merlot will often soften the tannins, and it is an 04 compared to the 05s with the, the Zin and Cab. But I found that combination to be incredibly tannic. I really like the Syrah instead of the Merlot because of the coffee flavors. And when you're actually tasting them head-to-head, -head, it was almost like, and I've noticed this before, when you taste two things that are similar, it accentuates your ability to taste the differences. And so that, that coffee, even at 10%, was just jumping out of there. All right. What do you say about the... Well, let's, let, I'm, I'm getting ready to try it here. Now, this would be a classic uh, Bordeaux blend. Ah, no, I take that back. This is Cab, cab Syrah. This is Cab Sorry, Syrah, right? Not cab, a Cab Merlot would be a classic Bordeaux blend. This is Cab Syrah. Two-thirds, well, speaking of that, one-third. Do you know typically how much Syrah is blended into a Bordeaux blend? Um, actually, I don't. I know you're more the expert on that, but uh, in the Bordeaux... Well, no, in this case, uh, I usually would have a comeback, but I really don't know. Uh, I do know that there are six wines six varietals that you're allowed to blend into Bordeaux. And call it a Bordeaux. Right. And the yeah. big ones are Merlot and Cab, but there are four others. And Cabernet Franc. There are you three can. others. David, maybe you know. <laughs> or can, can look it up, type it on the chat. Actually, David's not on the chat. So uh, for those of you who, ah, uh, yes. No see, Syrahs in Bordeaux. I, I know for a fact that there are no Syrahs in Bordeaux. Like I said. Passionate one. I don't think you find any Syrahs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alpha King. <laughs> oh man, your your own wines are going to be uh, probably mostly based in Syrah. Absolutely. And, and Alpha King, if you argue with that one, I'm not. We're not going to let you in the chat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can ban him. We can just click this button here, and his chats are gone. Oh, there. Okay, but we'll the bring power back of the to, numbers guy. The power um, of the numbers guy. It's it's fun to have the power of the. Uh, the, the pulpit here. Yeah. Okay, so what what do you think of the uh, Cab Let me give it a taste. Let me give it a taste. I, I had this this past weekend, by the way, and I thought it was absolutely incredible. That is killer. That is a really is absolutely killer. nice combination. Oh, my gosh. It, I think it's going to be our award winner. Okay, so here's another question for you. The hard thing about this for me, is we're tasting this, but these wines are so tannic and so young 
how do you really know? How do you know? How can you project? How can you foresee where they're going to end up? Well, I think folks that can with really incredible powers. I mean, the guys that are determining how they're going to blend them, and that can tell a great, um, a great vintage what it's going to be like. You know, three years, five years, ten, twenty years down for the great first growths and the great cabernets and so forth. I don't have that type of power, I'll be honest with you. I, I can't tell. You know, they're obviously able to evaluate acidity and tannins and, and body and, and be able to blend them and come up with the best combination. I don't have that talent. Well, the, the little I'm exercise folks do, though. or tasting that we're going to do next time where we try, um, or I should say, sorry, the one we did last time where we tried the 96 versus the 04, Remember last week? Right, right. That was interesting because it allows you to start to see um, head-to-head how a wine changes What aging does to it, right. So I wonder if, uh, for example, you could do one of these blends, taste it at the time that you do it, like now, put it in the bottle. Of course, you'll have maybe hundreds of bottles of it. And then taste it every year and make some fairly detailed tasting notes where you try to track how it changes over time. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard because tasting is somewhat subjective. And, you know, I, I wonder if you'd really be able to remember sort of year to year how the flavor really changed when, you know, you're trying to compare to something you did a year ago. Yeah, you've got some notes, but... Unfortunately, it's something that you just in real time can't do. But I, here's a good question. And if any of our listeners that have uh, made homemade wine... What's the longest someone has aged a bottle of their homemade wine and it really continued to improve? Was it, was it done after two years? Because obviously it's going to depend on, depend on the grape and the quality of the grapes that they started with. But are they really seeing improvement in quality five years, eight years down the road? You know, and I bet I'm, the most, answer. Most folks probably don't keep it around long enough well, I, to know. I think you're exactly right. Like I'm, I'm down to my last bottle of 03 Zinfandel. So, Four years from now, I'll tell you how good it is because <laughs> I still have a case left. Now, I'll probably be um, hanging on to that one for a while. Uh, but further, I think until relatively recently, home winemakers could not get superb quality grapes. I think it's, uh, you know. That's a pretty maybe, new phenomenon. Right. Some did, Unless you lived in California. Right, exactly. You live right. in California and you've got a friend who's, you know, growing a few rows. Okay, right. maybe. But I think most of us didn't have access to this until relatively recently. So for the home winemaker, the phenomenon of, of really being able to create a great wine. And I think this 05 cab, just by itself, I mean, we'll make some blends. Uh, but this 05 cab by itself is going to be one of the great wines we've ever made. Oh, we'll, we'll be enjoying that a half dozen years down the road for sure. No question. I want to make sure that we don't get into that one too early. I'll drink mine now. We'll drink yours down the road, and I'll give you my notes. Attempting <laughs> <laughs> uh, offer. Uh, well, I don't know exactly how to react to it because yours will be gone. I'll have mine, and even though we're sharing, you know, I'm sure I'll I can let, exploit I'll let you know. it in I'll some way. I'll let you know way. how much better yours is than mine was. <laughs> uh, let's let's try another blend here. And and by the way, Alpha King actually raises a great point. He he was asking about yeasts, and um, I committed a faux pas. I did not bring our our uh, wine notebooks with us this week, so I don't have it. But we actually did do uh, something to enhance the flavor complexity of both the Zin and the Cabernet. 
that we're tasting here tonight. What we did was we divided the Zin grapes that we had into two different 400-pound uh, batches. So we had roughly we had two f different fermentation. Yes, things. We two, different two different four hundred pounds yeast. batches to ferment and use different yeasts ah, on these right. two different batches. And we're not and we sure which this is. Or no, we? we we are sure what it is. What we did was we recombined it at the end. And the theory here is that different yeasts are going to bring out different flavors. Now it's important to ferment them separately so that one yeast doesn't dominate the other. Yeast, each one has its own sort of rate of development and fermentation. So we ferment them separately, press them, and then recombine them. So we've got one zin that had two different yeasts acting on it, and therefore you get a broader uh, variety of flavor notes and essences. And we did the same thing with a cab. And I think, by and large, my experience from that is uh, a positive one I I conclude that it's just you're going to get more complex. It's going to be more interesting if you follow this technique in general. I think it's something that most home wine, home winemakers have not tried, but I'm thrilled with the results. So far, so good. Ah, let, let's uh, let's check out Mike's comment here. He's got the. Uh, I am curious about this. The all of the great varietals that go into Bordeaux. And we know we have Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> Take it away, Dave. <laughs> We're trying to sound really smart by cheating off the screen on listener comments, but we've we've hit a small stumbling block. We have another one and another one. We have Malbec. Pronouncing this damn French. Petit Verdot and Saint Marcier. Monsieur, And it looks like uh, something appro uh, approximating uh, Carmenere. And uh, Grover Doe. Did I say that right, David? Yes, sir. Amazing. Wow. I wish you just have David read them. Hey, he, he knows how to say these. By the way, to the words. point of having um, sort of live interaction with folks, this is a lot more fun when uh, people are feeding valuable information in or key questions uh, as we're going. It's, uh, uh, frankly, a more enjoyable experience for the host. Hopefully, it's interesting to, uh, to folks out there. Hey, Passionate One, let's go to our last uh, varietal here, our last blend, at least the ones we worked out in advance of the show. And this one, so the one we're working on right now is a 67 cab, 37 Syrah. This one is 50 cab, 50 Syrah, sorry, 50, 50 cab <laughs> <laughs> in the third half of our show. <laughs> How many inches in a meter there, buddy? Oh, Remember that one? That back up. <laughs> Only really loyal listeners know what you're referring to. The time you busted me for getting that. Oh, I'll never live that down. Okay, this is 50% cab, 25% Syrah, 25 Zin. So it's it's still, interestingly enough, a 2 to 1 cab to Syrah ratio like what we're drinking already, but with another part of Zin added Throwing in. in so I think, I think a, this is going to be – I have high hopes for this. Yeah, Ooh, look and, at and that. I've heard – Gosh, does that look good. This one was inspired by a friend who said he made something uh, approximating this. So uh, I'm going to take a little sip of this with the uh, – This looks fabulous. You know, I love these 150% wines. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are brilliant. Well, what do you charge for one of these rascals? Hmm. Ah, you know, a, a quick note here. Mike has chimed in. Um, I don't know the whole 
Ooh, there we, no, 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 go, go for one there, Dave. Geez, I wish I had control of something here. Dave gives me nothing. But I wanted to see this. He's on three to four years. Mike, I guess, has aged some of his homemade wine for three to four years. Uh, he, he still has some t- about ten years old. They're likely over the hill. Could be. Yeah, Mike, um, you, you should taste one. Crack one and see, man. And let us email know. us. Let us know. And, of course, it depends on how you're storing them, too, obviously. if they're We talked about colder storage, right. lasts longer. Right. But I think Mike is right. I believe that anything that home winemakers had access to 10 years ago probably was fairly garden variety grapes. And uh, I'm going to predict they are over the hill, too. Let us, how, was, how was it that three or four years? Was it uh, really a um, noticeable um, you know, improvement? Well, that's always just, it's still arbitrary, but, you know, you have to, you remember what your wines taste like. I mean, if it's tasting great, then it improved. What the heck? Let's say it is and charge $3 a bottle more for it. <laughs> that's my motto. <laughs> that's what they do down at the state store. All right. What do you think? We've got two wines that are two to one cab Syrah, but one that has another part of Zin. Here's my theory. Right now, I actually like this better. But my prediction is that three, a few years down the road, I'm going to like the two parts cab, one part syrup better. I think it's going to age better. Hmm. And why? Why do you believe that? I don't think the I don't think the Zin's going to age as well. Three or four years down the road. Well, Zin's. You can let me know don't. after I drink all of mine, and we'll drink yours and see. No. Uh, it, it is interesting because Zins are not known for aging as well. And they don't usually, t- typically, I, I myself, I don't go beyond, you know, three to four to maybe five years for a right, particularly good Right, whereas a good Cab or Syrah, I mean, yeah. you could be 10, 15 years old with, with a good one and still be getting better. And I, I'll, I'll even throw this out to our listeners. I don't know that I prefer my Zin five years down, four years down the road over, you know, a few years old, an appropriate number of years. Because I think it loses some of the fruit and spice that I like. I think it is a, a wine that is mm, designed or, or uh, with the intention of being a little bit younger drinking wine. And I, I don't, I think it loses the qualities that I particularly like in it. That's my, you know, that's my feeling about it. Okay, so I, I have to ask you this. I mean, the fruit and spice uh, being consumed earlier, and and you certainly are going to lose fruitiness as the wine ages. Right. I think that's the same reason people like white wines, the, at right. least the fruitiness of it, which, again, whites are definitely better earlier. So you're... The crispness and the, and the the acidity of it. I mean, I, I drink a lot of white wine in the summer. I drink more white in the summer than red. Well, certainly your theory about why you like a Zin earlier would be consistent with why you like white wine. Right. That's... Um, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, is there anything about a, a Zin that would argue for keeping it longer? Or maybe a, a more interesting question is, if it is the fruit that you like, is it better not to do a malolactic fermentation on your Zin? You'll end up with more fruit. And remember, we've got five gallons of Zin that we didn't do the MLF on this year. Mm, oh, numbers guy, don't forget the softness that occurs with malolactic fermentation on the palate. Well, is the, is changing the softness... Changing it to the lactic acid, correct? 
I'm with you, but does, is that outweighing in yeah, a Zen but the, the but, loss but the feel of, the of, of the feel of it's part of enjoying the wine. The feel of it on the palate, the velvetness, the velvety <laughs> texture. Okay, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. Are you going for mouthfeel or are you going for the fruitiness? Well, no, your question was should you do the, the malolactic fermentation? And I don't know that you lose that. I don't, in our wine, I don't know that we lost that much fruitiness with our MLF. I don't, I don't, I don't know that we did. I think we gained more velvet texture than we lost in fruitiness. I think we're going to have to disagree on this one. We did do some tasting. Remember, just this week, uh, by the way, another update for listeners, we did our last bottling of 05. We had the Cabernet still in barrels. And since we last spoke to you, actually, we got together on Sunday night and had a heck of a party. Was it Sunday night? Yeah. Heck of a party bottling. So no, we got it was Friday night. Was it fr- oh, you're right. You're right. It was Friday night. It's important. That was right. <laughs> for so our sleep it off on no, <laughs> it was important for us to work after so sleep, uh, sleep it off on on Saturday morning, uh, but we did uh, bottle all that, and we were able to do a little tasting of uh, malolactic versus non-malolactic, and uh, for sure, uh, there is a difference in the fruitiness component of a wine. Um, probably the best way to describe it is. Without malolactic, it tastes more uh, towards grape or grape juice. With malolactic, it tastes more towards what you call wine. So clearly there is a loss of fruitiness with malolactic, but more what people would call a traditional wine flavor. Which one was that? The Zin that, that we was tasted Zin. with and that without was the, the, Zin. The, the malolactic. But we've, we've got uh, a Cab and a Syrah. We kept a little bit of each without uh, malolactic fermentation this year. So uh, we'll, we'll get to see as we go forward. Mike says it's a shame that you really know a wine has peaked once you notice the, uh, the downhill oh, slide. Boy. In other words, no truer words yeah, spoken there. There's, it's clearly you know when your wine is going downhill, and that's, that is a tragedy. Especially if you've still got a hundred bottles yeah. in your wine cellar. <laughs> Hurry up, everybody! Drink up. So these these blends are tasting fabulous. I'm, I'm. What's your favorite? Then we've done four blends. What are you going to go for? I would have to say the. Um, The 85 cab, 10 Syrah, 5 Zin tonight. And that's my favorite. That was tonight. my favorite too. But and I, and I think it's going to. I think it's because I predict it's also going to be most age worthy. I do. This blending thing. This is great. This is fun. It's a lot of fun. This is really good. It's a lot of fun. Well, I think that covers it for this show. Next time we're going to be back with a uh, virtual wine tasting. Now, are we going to be? Off next week? You've got you've got a big we event coming are, up. I am one. going to be riding a bicycle in Arizona for almost 600 miles next week. And um, maybe having a little wine in between. We'll see how, how we feel. But I will be gone riding the bicycle next week, training all summer for it. So I'm looking forward to it. And when are you, when are you returning from this Ironman bike ride? I will be back next um, a week from Monday. But here's an interesting nutrition note. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect segue. During my training, yes, I cut out, almost cut out all the beer for the summer. Just mm-hmm. had a, a, a 
bottle or a glass maybe one a week on average, maybe not even that, after cutting the grass or tennis or something like that. But anyway, I did not cut out wine consumption, and, and I lost I lost 10 pounds. How about the apples? diet. The wine diet. <laughs> now, let the record show. The passionate one was riding 30, 40, 50, even 100 miles, more than... All right, maybe that had something to do with it. But at least I know this. You with my have, wine drinking, I do not have Alzheimer's. <laughs> you you would have lost 20 pounds if you cut out the wine drinking. I, well, <laughs> so, maybe. Beer, 10 pounds. Wine, 10 pounds. But you know what? It's worth carrying those 10 pounds on your 600-mile ride just you know, so you can have the experience so of drinking wine That's right. I'm not giving summer. up. The, but did you know that I gave up the beer and not the wine? I'm, and I'm converted. I like your decision. Excellent. Well, another show gone down. I think this blending thing, again, is another one of the peak experiences of making wine. By the way, it's very possible that before you get back here, which will be almost two weeks from tonight, that the new grapes will come in. So if I end up crushing by myself, uh, you're going to Oh, gosh, you're I, hope I, hear I hope I don't miss that. And uh, one last comment from our listeners. Mike, God bless you. Wine was great for my marathon training. Never give it up. I love it. He's passionate. I won't, Mike. You can count on that. Yeah, and Alex <laughs> comments that uh, he's sure that the wine got your mind into the race. By the way, my doctor told me to give up wine. Yeah? Ask me what I did. I'm sorry. What did you do? I found a new doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> oh, yep. Straight uh, you're not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so with, hey, I can take direction. You know, if you just write it out for me on the board, I'd be happy. To, oh, God. <laughs> or if our listeners would type some things for me to say. Oh. Actually, tonight I did a very poor job even reading things that they wrote for me. So, uh, uh, what the heck. Well, another perfectly good evening. Totally wasted. Totally wasted. But a fun show now Lots of for our, our virtual wine tasting next time. We promise we, we have will to be back. Stack of Bibles we're with doing the BV, the, the BV next week. Cabernet. Or two, uh, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, two it's weeks. not next week. It's yeah. two weeks from now. Although it's possible that I'll file a solo uh, grape report if I end up crushing along the way. I'm sorry, was I dancing off there? <laughs> oh, uh, I tell you, these hours just go so fast for me. We're aiming for half an hour again. Hey, we're going to be under a, an hour, though. We That's are going to be un under an hour unless we really blow it here. Uh, so bring your BV. Uh, we're going to be tasting both a Napa Valley grade and a Rutherford grade, grade. And I might even go wild, as I said last time, and go out and get a Georges de la Tour private reserve and plunk down 75 to 100 bucks for that. And we're going to open up. Oh, we're Raphael's gonna, one. I'm really looking forward to it. I am really looking forward to it. God, I love home. I, I love say, all the wine folks have sent us. It, it I is think fabulous. I, I, love, I love this label. The, the neat thing about the label, by the way, just to describe it to listeners, is that it is probably one inch wide by eight inches tall. It's, it's unique. On a neat, tall, different, yeah, nice, clear Bordeaux-style bottle. Really sharp looking. Good and, job. And uh, I must say, uh, Raphael, you did a... Uh, Great job of racking. This is crystal clear. So uh, we'll chill that, that down for two weeks from now. We'll be back with a uh, detailed report on how our crushing went, if we uh, if we indeed did it. And uh, cellar dwellers, uh, I think it's time to sign off for another show. Thanks for tuning in. 
Until next time, cheers. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.